Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you guys today. Uh, welcome to Grace and welcome to uh, our wrap-up weekend for the Made for This series. Excited to kind of walk you through that today. My name is Joe. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace and uh, love to dive into things all around the city, all around the globe. That's a lot of the things I get to do. And I'm also the host pastor over at our Montrose location most Sunday mornings. So uh, it's good to be with you here. I'd love to join you there as well. If you didn't know this, uh, we have six services every weekend at the Bath Campus, four here, two Saturday, two Sunday, and then two over at Montrose. So uh, if you ever wonder where some of your friends disappear to on Sunday morning, it might be over there. And uh, certainly I'm over there as well. So it's good to have you here. Thanks for watching online. If you're with us too, thanks for joining in. Uh, like Donnie was saying earlier, summer's a really fun time uh, where we get to do a lot of things that are very intentional, like Bible camp, things like that. But this week was also special too, because we just had our Momentum Conference wrap up, where a lot of our high schoolers and some of our volunteers we're out uh, having really an amazing week. Momentum is one of the most meaningful things I think uh, someone gets to do before they turn 18. And even actually as volunteers, it's always such a powerful week. And I can't wait to hear more and more stories from them. And then we also just had a fifth grade missions trip return from Philadelphia. And so we had a lot of our fifth graders go out with some of their parents and do all kinds of service projects throughout inner city Philly, serving the homeless, helping with different kids programs. It was an absolute blast. And we love to continue to invest in things like that every summer, all year round. It's a lot, a lot of fun. Now, a few weeks ago, I got to share with you, and one of the things that I got to talk about a little bit was my paddleboarding adventures. And so um, I got to talk about how my wife loves to do paddleboarding. She apparently is very good at this, and I, however, am not. Within the first like six or seven minutes of being in the water, I was literally in the water about six or seven times. Uh, I just could not stay afloat. And my wife, being the loving, nurturing, uh, selfless, sacrificial woman that she is, signed us up to go again. Uh, and so... <laughs> Uh, we went out with some friends just on a Friday night, and uh, as soon as I went to get on the paddleboard, the paddleboard just starts shaking like this, and the person that oversees the rental, she just looks at me and she goes, this is not going to work. <laughs> like, this is, this is not going to be a good fit, and, uh, and so I get back out, and they give me a kayak, and it's fine, and it's good, but then, uh, <laughs> which kayaking, it was so relaxing, actually, it was a lot of fun. Um, but then I, I start looking into this paddleboard thinking, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Well, here, the standard paddleboard that you would rent from one of these places, uh, let's just say it's for a body type and weight limit that I haven't been since eighth grade. Okay, so I'm like, well, at least this makes sense. Like, I lit literally have not been that small since I was 13 years old. And so uh, that at least helped out. So who knows, maybe I'll try to get like, I think they make like a ship that you can paddleboard on. So I might try that out. We'll see what happens uh, here in the future. Um, but we have been in this series called Made for This. And apparently I was not made for paddleboarding, but that's fine. That's for a different uh, crying day. But We've been really diving into what does it look like for us to be connected and ingrained into the faith that God calls us to be? What happens in our life? What are the things that change in us? What were we created for? Well, we get that spiritual renewal of giving our lives to Christ and seeing him do something miraculous inside of us, forgiving us of our sins, perpetuating us toward eternal life, what are those things that happen? And we've been talking quite a bit these last five weeks about all of these different changes and all of these different nuances and been really focusing in on this is an absolutely miraculous and fully life-changing thing. 
This is not just something where we're turning over a new leaf and we're trying to do life a little bit better. We're not just trying to do whatever we were already inclined to do and then sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on it, but that God actually does something completely new and transformative in us. And so a couple of the key passages that we've been looking at, one's found in John 3, where Jesus is talking uh, with one of the leaders. He says, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And so Jesus is kind of showing us this idea that like our life actually has to completely change, that it's not just the fact that we already exist, but that our very spirit, our very inner being, our soul actually has to have a spiritual birth, a born again experience, which maybe you've heard that phrase before in our culture. And this is what it's referring to, where Jesus is saying, there's actually something brand new that happens inside of you when you decide to ask for forgiveness and decide to follow Jesus. And that born again experience changes everything. And then the apostle Paul, who writes a ton of the New Testament later explains that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so as we look at what our lives kind of amounted to before the time that we decided to follow Jesus, that old spiral downward, the old fact that we cannot make it on our own, the fact that our sin leads us to a pathway of destruction, the fact that our lives are headed toward um, complete death and destruction, that, that gets wiped away. Jesus takes that chance for us and now breathes into us new life. We become a new creation from the inside out and he sets us on a new trajectory forward. And so through passages like this, and then we've really been locking into the book of Ephesians, it's been fun to kind of dive into what is it then as a follower of Jesus that we've been made for? What does that actually look like? And I want to highly encourage you to go back through this series. If you've missed a couple of weeks or you've missed a conversation here or there, hit our YouTube channel, get onto our app, go to our website, hit our podcast, whatever it is, and re-go through this conversation. And even if you have been here, I really think that this six-week conversation is very foundational to who we are, what we're called to be, and how we interact with our faith, that our identity truly does change in Christ, and it's wonderful and life-giving and and full of love and peace and all the things that God promises. So we're going to take a look at that. Now to shift gears here for a second, I got to tell you, one of the things that I'm very excited about in life is that seven weeks from today, the Cleveland Browns play their first game. Woo! All right, here we go, Brown. Okay, so like we... (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I know I look like a tennis player. I know that, that's, that would assume paddleboarding, you know, success and all that kind of stuff. But I played football. I love the game of football, everything about the game. I just love it. All ages, it's great. And for the first time, I'm actually excited about the Browns. Like, I was always excited because football season is starting. Now I'm, like, actually excited about the Browns. And there's something that I'm going to kind of walk you through this morning. And I have a buddy of mine who's going to come out and kind of help us out. His name is Paul. And uh, he is ready to go this morning, right, with his football gear. So these are not new trendy pants, right? These are not male male capris. These are football pants. And uh, he's ready to go because these, these pads, right, they, 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 they protect. Because in football, you're going to be on the ground a lot no matter what position you play. You're going to get tackled. You're going to dive. You're going to be tackling other people. And these leg pads and hip pads and knee pads keep your legs and hips and joints protected from all of that wear and tear that you're going to be getting into. But that doesn't stop there, right? Like this would be a very dangerous way to enter an actual football game, even though he has some gear on. And so we made sure to hook him up. And we got some shoulder pads here for you. All right, so dive in there. Awesome. 
Excellent. They're always that uncomfortable to put on. It's really fun to kind of navigate your way through. But now, like, his shoulders are ready to go, and you can hit him a little bit, and it's fun. And he just smiles because he's got these pads on. And they protect him from the things that are coming his direction. And that's what's one of the beautiful things about football is you can just run into people at full speed. And generally speaking, it's not going to hurt very much. It's great, right? Your arms might be covered in bruises, but your shoulders and your collarbone, generally speaking, are usually very well protected. It's a lot of fun. And we have to make sure to wear the right gear. But again, this is a very dangerous way to just walk out onto the football field and play. You actually make, need to make sure that we have one of these suckers. All right, go ahead and pop that baby on. Then you get to hit people in the head. It's really good. One of my least favorite things playing football was when someone would come up behind you like, good job. You know, they would smack you up against the head, even with the helmet on, but it's fine because it doesn't hurt. Like, well, this doesn't usually hurt Paul anyway, but uh, he's, he's good. And now he's got this thing on and then the face mask protects you from things coming at you. It's good. Because you do, you have hands flying to the face, you got things going on, you got other helmets coming your way, and we have to make sure that we are as protected as possible on the football field because of the way the game is played, because the things coming at you, because of all of the uh, attention and all of the action and all of the speed that the game is coming at you, you have to be wearing the right equipment. And there is absolutely no way that we would ever ask anybody to stand on the football field, get into position, ready to run the play, without all of this equipment on. We would never do that, right? Cool. Well, let's give Paul a round of applause. He's doing great. Looks good. His eligibility is up. Otherwise, he'd be trying out for a couple of teams here. But um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Because as we engage this life that God is calling us to, there are certain aspects of it that it would be absolutely unwise for us to step onto the field of play without taking on the equipment that God has given to us. The things that he's trying to help us actually um, receive, the the things that he's actually trying to protect us from the things that are coming our way, all of the action and the speed with which life comes at us. He wants to actually equip us to, to wear the right things to be ready to go. And it one of the things that Jeff actually mentioned last week in, in Ephesians 5 was this passage that says, be very careful then as you, how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so we have this life that's just barreling down on us. And the days are evil. Things are coming at us that are not helpful, that are not life-giving, that are not loving, that are not godly. And they're coming at us from all different angles and all different directions. And what do we do about that? And as we look through this, the rest of chapter five kind of dives into this idea of what life actually looks like. And it gets into marriage and it gets into parenting. It gets into what it looks like to be a kid and how to interact with your parents. It gets into all of this conversation about how to deal with employers and how to be good workers and coworkers. It gets into all this normal life stuff that hits most of us from every angle. Because even if you're not married and you don't have children, you know a lot of people that are going through marriage. You know a lot of people that have kids. And by the way, you're kids yourselves, right? So like we have all of these relationships that barrel down on us and a lot of our life stress comes from these areas and he's saying listen the days are evil we need to make sure that we live life as wise and not unwise how do we navigate this but then he says he doesn't just say okay good luck 
He actually starts to show us like, well, how do we step onto the field with the right equipment? How do we actually step forward and say, I need to live life as ready to go as possible. What are my spiritual shoulder pads? How can I go out there and make sure that I'm not just gonna get blasted every time something comes my direction? And that's where we're gonna kind of land this morning. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to open up to Ephesians chapter six. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one in the chairs. In those chairs, Ephesians 6 is on page 950. You can also follow along in the app or open up a Bible app on your phone, whatever you'd like to do, and we'll be diving into this together. We're going to be starting in verse 10 in chapter 6. We're going to walk through this together, and God's going to start to show us what it looks like to actually be prepared to walk through all these different facets of life. So verse 10 starts here. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now this is kind of a crazy verse, a crazy passage, because it starts to talk about all these things that are actually coming against us, but he says the It's not flesh and blood. And so when we start thinking about the different people in our life that kind of get on our nerves, that we might even start to look at as maybe our enemies. Maybe we're in a school or a work situation where you have a group project and you have to work on things together. And all of a sudden you look across the table, you look across the work and and they're not pulling their weight. And they miss their deadline, which totally messes up your deadline, but now you're responsible for it. And you're not really sure how to get that done without that person's work. And so you stay up all night long for two or three nights making sure to cover their work. And they just get lauded as being part of the project, but they didn't do it. And now you lost some of your personal time and you lost some of your family time. And you were had those plans, but now you couldn't do it because you had to get that project done. And all of a sudden, when you show up at work or you show up at school and you look at that person, you're like, you're dead to me right? Like you were done. Like, I can't believe you would inconvenience my life like that. Why would you ever do that? Sometimes we'll be in a, in a romantic relationship with somebody and we just do not understand why they keep pushing their agenda on us. No, this is not something I want to do with my life. No, honey, I do not want to go paddle boarding. Stop. Okay. Like this is verbal abuse and emotion. <laughs> like They push their agenda on us. They push their agenda. And after a while, if we're not careful, we can start to look at this person that we love and that we said we're completely committed to And we start to look at them as the enemy. Like, why would you do this to my life? Don't you understand how you're inconveniencing me? You're changing me. I don't want any of this. Why are you doing this? And suddenly we feel at odds with them. We start to read through social media and we see things posted on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And we start to look at these different things and people are spewing this opinion and spewing that opinion. And suddenly we're like, wow, I didn't realize that you had that opinion on life. I'm I'm out. Like, I can't hang out with you anymore. I don't want to be associated with you anymore. I didn't realize that we were mortal enemies because we disagree on Michigan, Ohio State, whatever it is. Uh, we, we, We... suddenly see ourselves at odds with people to the point of saying, I don't want anything to do with you because we completely classify a bunch of different opinions on the one person because of one thing they said or did or put out on social media. Our neighbor doesn't understand the severity of the issue that we're so passionate about. Don't they get it that if they were passionate about this thing that it would change the world, don't they realize that they're a part of the problem? Don't they realize these things? And we start to see our neighbor, our actual neighbor as the enemy that you're not, if you're not with me, you're against me. We even have cliche phrases like that. And we start to look at people and say, you are who I'm against. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
The battle that you are facing is not one of flesh and blood. It is a spiritual one. But there are things happening behind the scenes spiritually that are purposely trying to create a combative environment, that are purposely trying to create a scenario, a reality in our world where people are at odds. And all of these, all of these people, you guys did mental math. You filled in who your enemies were as I was explaining those scenarios. You know exactly who I'm talking about. And for every one of us, it's different. For every one of us, we're thinking through these things. And you're like, you're right. That neighbor, I will never talk to them again. You're right. My spouse, they don't even realize. I'm actually signing the papers tomorrow. You're right. That, like, we, we are ready to go to war. And God is saying, be careful. Do not live as unwise, but wise. Because the days are evil. And our battle is not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual one. The reality of the matter is... We live in a world where Satan is real and his demonic forces are real and they don't come at us like a little pitchfork red guy running around. They don't look like that. They come very deceptively in ways that we would not see on a regular basis because let's be honest, if it was like a horror movie and a demon just flew into the room and said, you'll do what I want, you'd be like, that's scary, that's creepy. I don't want anything to do with that. But they're cunning and they're scheming, as the, as the scripture just said. There's the devil's schemes. And so what does the Bible say about how this looks? How does Satan, how do his demons work? How does this happen? And so the Bible actually says one of the main things that he does is he's the accuser. And so he and his minions, because Satan is not omnipresent, if you didn't know that. He's not everywhere all at one time. None of us are probably even important enough as far as he's concerned for him to be personally attacking you. But he does have these demonic beings that are tormenting people. And one of the things that they do is they accuse. And so they're going to come at you in your life and start accusing you of all the things that you've ever done wrong. Accusing you of all the things that maybe you haven't even done wrong. But he wants to make sure that you live in guilt as much and as deeply and as long as possible. That all of those things that you did yesterday or 10 years ago or when you were even a little kid, he wants to bring back to the forefront of your, your face and say, this is why you're not good enough. This is why you can't succeed in life. This is why God doesn't love you. This is why, this is why, this is why. He is an accuser. He accuses, he accuses, he accuses. And so he is trying to drag you down and wallow in shame and guilt. And so all of those things, what's amazing is if you follow Jesus, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is Romans 8.1. It says, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. None. If you follow Jesus, the condemnation is done and it's over. So all of those thoughts that you have, all of those things of your reality, you're like, no, I'm not good enough. Don't you know what I did? This, that, and the other. If you're in Jesus, those accusations are false. And that is the work of the devil and his schemes. The second thing that the Bible says that the, Satan is all about doing is tempting. He's the tempter. He's purposefully trying to trip us up at every turn. Each and every one of us have an area or more in our life where it's very easy for us to stumble. Maybe it's something sexual. We can't stop clicking on this thing. Maybe it's something relational where we can't stop flirting with this person at work or school even though we're already in a relationship. Maybe it's something monetary that if someone gives you a loophole monetarily, you're going to take the cheater's way and you're going to kind of go around it because that means I get more money. Maybe it has something to do with just literal comp competition. 
right? You're like, I will cheat, I will break the rules because if I can win, that's more important to me than anything else. Maybe, maybe it has to do with the emails that you get in your inbox for free chicken sandwiches at Chick-fil-A. I can't imagine who would be tempted by those things, but uh, when you get those emails for the free sandwiches, you're just like, well, I'm 3.6 miles away. I could be there in about four minutes. I'm in. Mobile order because I have the app and you have the status and... Wait, that's not you? Okay, anyway... But we're tempted by certain things, right? And it's very easy for us to stumble into those things. And what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to throw those traps right in front of you all the time. He wants you to fall. He wants your marriage to fail. He wants you to look at that thing one more time because he's almost got you addicted. He wants you to take one more drink. He wants you to go out with those bad influence friends one more time. He wants you to do that. He wants you to have that night alone with that person. He's tempting you, he's tempting you, he's tempting you, he's tempting you. And it's never crazy things because we wouldn't do them. Like some of those temptations that I mentioned sound absurd to you. Like how is somebody even tempted that way? But then other ones totally resonate. He knows what he's doing. He's been around for generations and generations and thousands of years. He understands how humanity works. He knows how to tempt people. So he's coming after us to make us falter, to make us stumble. The third thing that he does is he's the liar. The passage even says he's the father of lies. He does not want you to understand the truth. He does not want you to understand what God's like. He does not want you to understand what you're like and what you're created for. He does not want you to see that this is a spiritual battle with those people that we think are our enemies. He wants us to go to war with our enemies. He wants you to think that that person across the street is an absolute moron. He wants you to think that you're the smartest person on the planet, that if everybody lived like you, that life would be so much better because you are the pinnacle of all creation at all times. He wants you to believe good lies that sound good to us, and he wants you to believe bad lies that sound terrible about other people. He's trying to get us to offset actual reality by lying, lying, lying. I have a friend of mine that always is constantly believing different lies about her family members, almost to the point of diagnosed paranoia. They just can't stop believing the lies about themselves. They don't think they're good enough. They don't think they're healthy enough. They don't think they deserve anything. They don't think they're loved. It's with other relationships. They think that friend is betraying them. They think that friend is betraying them. They just always are allowing these lies to permeate. Satan is always trying to get us to believe lies, lies, lies. And one of the other things that the Bible talks about, and this is not an extensive list, but it's this idea that Satan is the destroyer or the enemy, that he's not looking to build anything up He is trying to make it all crumble. He doesn't want your friendships to last. The only reason he would ever want your career to succeed is if it's taking everything else away in your life. He is trying to destroy your marriage. He's trying to destroy your faith. He's trying to destroy everything good in your life. He wants you to experience cheap thrills and no long-lasting satisfaction. He wants you to experience the pursuit of life and happiness all at the expense of losing eternity and all things of value. He is trying to destroy everything that you would hold dear. Satan and his demonic forces are real and they are coming at you on a regular basis. And I would ask, how then could we ever want to step out into the game of life without the appropriate equipment on. Because what's amazing about this passage is if you remember, I think I can back up here, it starts with saying, 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. He is ready to equip you on how to navigate these different things that are coming your way in life. He's going to equip you and show you how to work through the fact that Satan is accusing you, he's tempting you, he's lying to you, and he's destroying your life. How can we put on the appropriate equipment and make sure that we get through life in the way that God has created us for, that he's made us for? So let's take a look farther into this passage where it continues then in verse 13. He says, therefore, because all this is happening, because of this battle that is completely spiritual and coming at you in all different directions, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. You can actually stand at the end of these days. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. God is starting to show us a little bit of what it looks like to actually put on the real equipment to navigate life as all of these things come our way. And so let's kind of take a look, slow down a little bit and look at some of these things and how they can actually be applied directly to our life. So the first thing that he says here is that we should stand firm in the belt with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Truth is incredibly important. Going to the doctor and getting an appropriate diagnosis is very important. You either have a stomach ache, take one of these and call me in the morning, or it could be something much, much worse. And if you take one of these and call me in the morning and it's the much, much worse, the truth did not help you. You didn't know the truth. We need to know the truth. Who is God? What does he think of us? How does he interact? How is he beckoning us to himself? What does he say about who we are and the values of life and how these things work? We have to understand the truth. What are all these things coming together? Because if we're not believing the truth, then by default, we're believing lies. And suddenly we start to swirl into this reality where we don't believe the correct things about ourselves. We don't see God correctly. We don't see each other correctly. Suddenly we see each other as enemies as opposed to mutual brothers and sisters trying to pull each other along in life. All of these different things start to swirl around and lies begin to destroy the very foundation of our own lives. The problem is for us practically is when it comes to truth, we often have a truth diet problem where maybe we'll get up in the morning or stay up a little bit at night and we'll get into a a Bible verse or a Bible passage or the Bible for a few minutes and we'll read through our Bible plan, we'll click onto this, we'll, we'll get onto some Bible app and we'll read you know, a seven-day plan on this thing or a 30-day plan on this and we'll read a chapter or we'll read the side of a coffee mug or we'll read a devotional and we get into a little bit of what God's truth is, but it's, it's a few minutes, right? Some of us, it might be three minutes, some of us might be no minutes. Like this is like, what do you mean? People do this in the morning? Yes, But it's a little bit of time, and after we spend that 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 15 minutes of kind of diving into the truth of God's word and what he's trying to show us and teach us about himself and ourselves, we'll spend the rest of the day completely digesting Facebook, Fox News, CNN News, MSNBC, ESPN political commentary. We get all these different things flooding into our life, and we'll spend hours and hours and hours digesting all of this stuff coming in. 
And we get our friends' opinions and that person's opinions and that celebrity's opinions and this person's opinions and this, and that's why the world is terrible and that's why this is falling apart and here's why you are terrible and here's why you're a moron and here's why you're unwise and here's why these people are... And it just floods us and our bodies, our minds, we soak that stuff in. And so we allow lies or at least close to like the permeation of all of these different opinions because all of that stuff is biased. All of that stuff is just people talking, right? And there might be pieces of truth in some of it. I'm not saying all of it is 100% false, but what I am trying to say is that diet problem is an issue. We're not spending nearly enough time into the source of truth that we would expect a five-minute devotion in the morning to combat the hours and hours of the digestion of all this information is probably living more like an unwise person than a wise one. And as we approach the days that are evil, as we approach all the accusations, lies, temptations, and destruction coming our way, if we're not actually absorbing the truth, then we're going to find ourselves in big trouble. The next thing that it talks about is this breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate of righteousness, if we just think to a kind of a standard definition of righteousness that we might initially want to just kind of put out there, we think of our personal ability to kind of lead a sinless life, to be pure-ish, to, to, to not be much of a sinner, that I'm a righteous person. But that's not really the full biblical concept of what it means to be righteous. Righteousness in the scripture actually has a lot more to do with justice has a lot less to do with how are we interacting with ourselves and a lot more to do with how are we interacting with each other. A lot less to do about, hey, how does my decisions impact me? And a lot more to do with how do my decisions impact other people? How does that impact my parents? How does that impact my spouse? How does that impact my coworkers? How does that impact my employer? How does that impact my society? How does that impact my neighbor? Am I a person that's actually presenting and purporting and reflecting a righteousness, a, a, a holiness, a, a goodness, a, a love, joy, and peace? Or am I a person that's perpetuating selfishness and self-gain and care for only myself and that I'm number one, back off. If this doesn't help me, I'm not in for it. Which one are we perpetuating? But if we're gonna put on the, ble- the breastplate of righteousness, say that three times fast, uh, we have to make sure that we're actually putting on a mentality where we're caring for how we interact with other people. And then the righteousness aspect of that is it's always gonna show godliness. If we're really putting on a breastplate of righteousness, then it's gonna show the goodness and the invitation and the hope and the message of Christ. The next thing that it talks about is this idea of peace. In another passage in Philippians 4, it talks about how the peace of God actually transcends all understanding. It's peace that doesn't even make sense. You don't even sure why you feel so peaceful because you're so firmly rooted in who God is and his goodness and his love and his mercy that you totally feel his peace. And God is calling us to be peacemakers because the opposite of that is to be divisive. It's to be one that actually perpetuates chaos. And so we'll get online and we'll have these conversations and these arguments and these posts where instead of helping people understand how to come together, we're just dropping grenades and letting people feel divided and saying, well, that's how these people think and that's how these people think. And we shove these things out there because we want people to think that we're clever and we're smart. It's so fun sometimes to be the devil's advocate in a conversation. 
Like, how did you think about this side of the argument? Did you think about how this might work? And did you know that if we go down this road with that project and this happens, huh, we totally don't have a contingency for that. And it's fun to be the devil's advocate. But have you ever thought of the irony of the phrase of that title? That we're the advocate for the devil. And yes, it's, of course it's good to bring in different perspectives and think through contingencies. But some of us are tempted regularly just to pull those out, just to pull those out. We actually have no point behind it. It's just, ha, I thought of something that you didn't. Ha, what if this happens? Or you just like to be a naysayer. You just like to be divisive. But God calls us to be peacemakers. He calls us to actually bring together unity. He calls us to actually bring together a loving atmosphere where we're working together because one of the things that Satan is trying to do is he's trying to divide. He's trying to accuse. He's trying to lie and destroy And so we have an opportunity to actually put on this mindset of I'm going to be a peacemaker. The next thing that he says is this idea of faith, that we would take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're trying to have a serious conversation with somebody Maybe you're even trying to have a little bit of a spiritual conversation about why you believe some of the things that you believe about Jesus or why you think God is working in these ways. And all of a sudden, this random thought enters your head that's like from not only left field, it's from left field of a different ballpark. You're like, where did that come from, right? Maybe you've spent some time trying to pray and you're talking with God about some different things and then all of a sudden you remember that thing from like seventh grade. You're like, where did that come from? Or you picture that image that you looked at 20 years ago or you picture that opportunity where you know you hurt that person and you know you mistreated that person and it just floods in your memory out of nowhere and suddenly you feel accused and unworthy to talk with God. Those are flaming arrows That's not just your mind's ability to think of whatever, whenever, about whoever. It's actually a part of this spiritual battle where Satan does not want you to focus on God. And he certainly does not want you focused on helping others find the hope and the message and the love of Jesus. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to accuse you. He's trying to make sure that you are lied to. He does not want you to think about the truth. And so he is purposely sending these things, but... When we can take up the shield of faith, when we actually remember what we're rooted in, what we're grounded in, that God is eternally powerful, that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-love, and that these accusations and these lies, these circumstantial things do not hold a candle to God's goodness and his grace and his mercy, that there is no condemnation in your life if you're found in Christ Jesus. And so these accusations are not from him, that you can actually find yourself rooted in Jesus, that you can put up that shield of faith and say, hey, not now, I'm, I'm talking with God. Hey, not now. I want to talk with these people about how awesome Jesus is. Hey, not now. This is a serious moment in my life. Shield of faith. Arrows go away. I'm done. I'm focusing in on the truth and the goodness and the mercy of Jesus. When we can actually put that shield up, then those arrows lose their power. And we have an opportunity to actually be equipped for the life that God has made us for. It continues. He says, take on the helmet of salvation. And similarly, we have to remember that our life, if found in Christ, is firmly rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. 
you and I have done nothing to deserve a relationship with Jesus. God loves us because we're his creation. Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins and for all of our mistakes and all of the things that we have done wrong. And he rose again, the check cleared. We are now set in life because we follow him and we've given our life to him. And we can actually remember the cause of Christ, that we are eternal beings, that we have a life ahead of us after we die, that God is preparing a room for us in heaven, that we can actually live in eternity with our brothers and sisters in Christ and in the presence of God forever. When we remember what our mission is on earth, we suddenly remember that it's not about whether or not we're enemies with people or arguing with people, but instead that we are on a mission to rescue people. We're not here to argue with each other. We're not here to just judge each other. We're not here to throw arrows at each other. We're not here to be divisive. We're here to show people the incredible nature of who God is, the incredible nature of who Jesus is. And we could have the helmet of salvation on. We remember with all gratitude and all greatness of what Jesus has done for us. And that salvation becomes the pinnacle of everything. We can't believe that Jesus has done for this. And so we regularly go to him and we confess, Jesus, I messed up today, I need your help. This would be great if you could continue to make me more righteous, give me more faith, help me understand the truth more. We remember that we are saved, we remember that we've been born again, we remember that we are new creations and we live in that mindset and that reality. He then says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that we actually use the scripture. We actually get into the Bible that this is the foundation of our truth, that God engages all of the interactions that we need to understand of how to interact with God and how to interact with other people, that we have to understand the truth. And it's okay if you don't understand something. It's a whole book. It's a lifetime. I learn stuff every time I get into the scripture. We always go back to it. It's our foundation. And we're said, if you want to be equipped to navigate life, to be ready to play the game on the field, if you want to block those flaming arrows, if you want to be rooted in truth and peace and faith and righteousness, you have to take up the sword. You have to actually be equipped with the word. It's amazing how calming, it's amazing how readily available it can be to help you at a moment's notice. And the last thing he says is to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. This concept, I think, is very important to kind of dial into for a second because most of us know how to pray, relatively speaking, from a very early age. We learn that there are people that maybe are going through something and we want to pray for them. We want, you know, Aunt Sally's toe to heal and we have a friend that has something very serious going on in their life. We wanna pray for them. We wanna pray for uh, this work situation or this test that's coming up or we wanna pray for these things. And those things are all great and we should be praying for those things. But this idea of walking in the spirit is not one where we're just simply saying like, God, here's my wish list. Would you please fulfill these for me in Jesus' name, amen. That is not what it means to pray in the spirit. Many of us are very tempted, and I'm using that word on purpose, we're very tempted to say those prayers, to walk that through, and then, so to speak, close the prayer book and walk away. And I don't know about you, but when I have a conversation with somebody and they ask me really good questions about like, hey, how's your summer going? How's your family doing? How's those things? And 
If you're like me, you like to talk about yourself a little bit. So, you know, like, oh, my family's, you know, we're doing this and we got this thing going on and I've been paddleboarding and, you know, all these different things. And, and every once in a while, I forget to reciprocate. I forget to actually ask, well, how's your family doing? Uh, how's your summer going? You know, just, just get lost. Maybe time goes away. Maybe we naturally are physically being drawn away and just forget to reciprocate the conversation. And when we're walking with the Spirit... And we're talking to God, thank you for this, help me with this, show me this, help this person. We actually have an opportunity in prayer to walk in the spirit and pause and wait because maybe God wants to show us something. Maybe God wants to teach us something. Maybe God wants to bring something to mind that you remember that you just read in the Bible. Maybe God wants to show you something and make you aware that he actually wants to use you in that person's life. That suddenly you walk away, you're like, I actually think God might want to use me to encourage and walk alongside this person who's going through this major issue. I didn't think about that before, but now after I've prayed and spent time with God, I actually think he might be calling me to that. And whatever it is, every situation is different, but we have to pause and actually spend time in prayer. The other thing that prayer really does when we're walking in the spirit is it helps us see people the way that God sees people. And so we stop seeing them as the enemy and we start seeing them as people that we're called on mission to help rescue and encourage and love. And so prayer is incredibly important that if we're gonna really walk through the day with wisdom, if we're gonna walk through the day with grace and mercy, Prayer is one of these things that we absolutely have to lock onto. The battle that we are facing is not against flesh and blood. We are called to this new life in Christ that he has completely equipped us for, that is 100% on mission to help other people. I cannot imagine walking out onto a football field without the equipment on. I cannot imagine regularly walking out into the field of life without putting the equipment on that God is saying, here, I'm giving you the helmet. I'm giving you the breastplate. I'm giving you the belt. I'm giving you the shoes. I'm giving you the equipment that you need so that you can actually walk through life healthily, safely, in love and in unity to walk alongside of me in the mission that I've called you to. Now, I've been there. I've walked through life plenty of days without putting the equipment on. I've believed the lies about myself, that I'm not good enough. I've believed the lies that I don't know enough. No one wants to listen to me. No one likes me. They're laughing at me. They don't care about me. I've not rooted myself in truth before and allowed myself to start believing all these lies and nuances of our culture. I've fallen into temptation countless amounts of time. But the fact of the matter is that almost formulaically, every time those lies take root, every time I fall into temptation, every time that I'm not wanting to believe something about myself or about who God is, almost formulaically, it's because I have not put on the armor of God. And every time, almost formulaically, that I've had any victory in understanding the truth, blocking the flaming arrows, not falling into temptation, etc. It's because I've spent the time to connect with my creator, to connect with my savior and put the armor on. 
We have an opportunity, and it's right there in front of us. One of my favorite things that Jeff actually shared with us last week is that many a times we're looking for rules. Just show me what to do. Just tell me what actions to do, and I'm good. But we're called to a way, a way of love, a way of wisdom. And so when we look at this lifestyle, it can become daunting, but we realize that God has set us up for actual big life success. And in this passage in 2 Peter, he says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That everything that you're called to do in life, everything that you were made for, every arrow that comes your way, every temptation that is coming your way, every falter, every lie, every accusation, God has given you everything you need to handle it. But it's in his glory and his goodness. It's not because you're awesome, it's because you're loved. It's not because you're strong and you're powerful, it's because he is. It's not because you can handle life, it's because he's the author of life. And so he is giving us an opportunity to connect with him, to walk with him, and to actually engage all of these things in life to handle what's coming our way. My guess is that you're not gonna walk out of here today and go buy a helmet and a breastplate and a belt and some cleats, right? So how do, how do we start doing this? How do we actually step into this reality of who we were made for? How do we step into this new creation, this new mentality, this understanding, and this new identity, and actually live in those ways? I want to give you a few things that will help us kind of start to navigate and put on the armor regularly or more fully. And the first one is this. Get in the Bible. Rocket science, I know. Surprises all of you. But get in the Bible. It's here for all of us. No generation, no culture has had more access to the word of God than ours. It's in hotel room drawers, for goodness sake. Like, it's everywhere. You can Google it. There are apps but I want to encourage you this way. Get out your Bible. And if you don't have one, there's some in the seats. Put your name in it. Take it with you. Get a Bible. And here's why. Your phone dings. Your phone has alerts. Your phone has alarms that go off because you forgot to do these things. And it sends you that reminder that that deadline is due. It sends you that news notification of this person won the U.S. Open. It sends you this notification. It shows you this email. It has this text. This meme pops up. All this kind of stuff. And you're trying to dial in. You're trying to walk in the spirit. You're trying to get into the word. You're trying to understand the truth. You're trying to figure out your identity in Christ. And it's like, ding, did you see this funny meme on, you know, boom like on Instagram, and it's distracting, it's distracting, and it's distracting. And what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Satan is making your phone notify you, but I am saying that he loves it when you're distracted. And in the same way of a healthy conversation, if you're going to actually connect with somebody, you would put the phone away, right? I want to sit here and I want to talk to you. I want to have a conversation with you. I want to have a meaningful time with you. You'd put the phone away and you would not pay attention. When you're interacting with God, put the phone away, grab a Bible, Flip the pages, grab a pen, underline stuff, highlight stuff, pray through what you're reading. 
The Bible is not going to ding and it's not going to alert you and it's not going to have all these notifications pop up, but it does do incredible things. It does give you insight into the heart and mind of God. It does connect you to your creator and your savior. It does equip you with the armor that you need to navigate life. Get in the Bible. And yes, it doesn't always make sense because it's a whole book. There's 66 books in the Bible. Not every page and nuance you read is gonna make sense. That's why you gotta keep getting into it. Because I promise you, together, the book makes a lot of great, amazing, life-changing sense. Get in the Bible. The next thing is make prayer your favorite app. When I, when I have a healthy relationship with somebody, I communicate with them in all different kinds of ways. We send short texts back and forth. What do you wanna do for dinner tonight? You wanna see that movie later? Did you see this funny meme? Did you see this thing? Blah, 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 blah. You send these funny pictures. You send quick texts. You send these conversations back and forth. Hey, praying for you. It could be serious. It can be lighthearted. But we send texts back and forth. And in any, good, in any good relationship I have, we also spend time to talk. My wife and I try to make sure we actually have a conversation at least once every day. An actual sit-down conversation, right? I try to connect with my best friends and the people I'm in biblical community with regularly, right? Let's have a five-minute, half-hour, hour-long conversation. Let's just catch up and talk. Let's connect. And then every once in a while, we do something special together. We go out on a date, or we go out and we have a, a mandate. We go see a movie together and grab a pizza, or we, we do this thing. We go play a game. We go shoot some hoops. We spend some actual good quality time together because relationships need all of it, right? Your prayer life is just like that. Throughout the day, we should be walking in the spirit. God, I'm about to go into this conversation and I'm pretty hot-headed right now. I need you to calm me down. I need your peace. Otherwise, I'm gonna, I think I might lose it. God, I have no idea how to love this person right now. If you could just help me kind of have your love come through me, that'd be fantastic. God, I, I don't have a clear head right now. And I'm about to go present on this presentation. God, I feel very unsafe right now operating this piece of equipment. If you could just help calm my nerves a little bit, that'd be, you have these quick conversations all the time with the Lord on a regular basis. You're texting him, right? But then every day, you should be having a conversation with him as well where you're slowing down, an opportunity to listen to him, an opportunity to actually pour your heart out to him, an opportunity to say, I gotta get this off my chest, off my mind. It can look a million different ways, but slow down and pray and actually engage him. And then maybe, maybe once a year, a couple times a year, you take a half day, a full day, a weekend, and you give yourself a retreat with God and really slow down and pay attention and tap into the source of life and love and your savior and get to know him and allow your life to be transformed by him. And the third thing is to seek him. Seek him. One of my favorite, other favorite verses in the Bible is Matthew 6.33. It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. You're like, Job, but you don't understand. Life is crazy right now. Okay, start with him. Joe, you don't understand what I'm going through. It's so hard. Th this relationship, I cannot, okay, great. Seek him. You have no, but I have so many questions. Great, seek him. Seek him first. He is the one that equips us for all of those things in life. He's the one that gives us the power and his mighty power, as that passage said, to go through life. But I don't have time. I bet you do. 
We all give our time to different things that we don't have to. And at the end of the day, a slightly larger bicep, a slightly slimmer waist is not gonna be the same as the way in which God helps us navigate life. One more hour at work is not gonna, one more episode of Stranger Things is not gonna, we have time. It's about prioritization. It's about seeking him first and all these things will be added to you as well. God knows what you need. God sees what's going on in your life. God's walking with you through it. Seek him first. Now I realize, full confession, how simple and basic this list looks. Get in your Bible, pray, and seek Jesus. But I promise you that that's it. That if we get into our relationship with Jesus, the things that he calls us to, the way that he transforms our life, the way that he helps us navigate our decisions and our actions will be a game changer. And you'll actually be equipped to handle whatever comes your way. Try me. Get in the Bible. Make prayer your favorite app and seek him and see what happens. That maybe even today, you're gonna spend that time diving into the scripture. You're gonna spend time actually slowing down in quiet and just pray. And maybe even write down what comes to mind, whatever it takes. But slow down and spend the time because again, if you're feeling ill-equipped to handle all that life is throwing at you, if you feel like the lies and the accusations and the destruction is barreling down on you, then put on the armor of God. Stand firm then and don't live as unwise, but live as wise. As a follower of Jesus, I really think that this could be transformative and something that could renew what you might feel like is potentially maybe a law in your spiritual journey. As someone that maybe doesn't yet know Jesus, this, this is what's available to you. Jesus, God is not just about a get out of hell, get into heaven free ticket business. He's in a life transformation business. He's in a redemptive relationship business. He's in a change your life, pull you out of destruction, put you on a trajectory of life and love business. And if we give our lives to Christ, if we're found in him, if we are now one of his sons or his daughters, this, this protection, this direction is what's available to you. So we're gonna spend some time, the band's gonna come out, they're gonna create some space for us. These songs, oh my goodness, the lyrics to these songs are, I think they're really going to speak to your soul of who Jesus is, the power that's in him, and the call, the call to come and join in with God in life. So spend some time praying, maybe even making some commitments personally. I'm going to carve out the time, put in my schedule to do these things. As we get into this time of worship, will you, Will you think? Will you pray? Will you give your heart over to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these promises. Thank you for not just putting out in front of us an impossible way to live life and then saying good luck. But you transform us from the inside out. You give us your spirit. You empower us to walk through life. And then you equip us to navigate all that life throws at us. I pray that we would just engage it. 
I pray that we would take the intentional time to just put the equipment on, to spend time with you, to walk through life with you. Help us, Jesus, to see you more clearly, to believe in your truth, to trust in your goodness, to have faith in your leadership, and to depend upon our Savior, Jesus. Father, as we worship, as we think, as we pray, will you continue to change us from the inside out and show us how good you are. It's in your name we pray, amen.